And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Thrilled that you are here today. Welcome to the show. My name, of course, is Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the Spiritual Spiral. Of course, my mind is going in multiple directions, but I want to start on a positive note. And then I'm going to obviously talk about Facebook and how awful that platform is. Um, try to do it in a way that's as respectful and relatable as possible. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, write a review, give it a five star. Please share it with your friends. You can message me on Instagram or Twitter at Eddie Cohn. Lots of exciting stuff happening. New music I'm working on. This next draft of my book is done, so setting it out to agents. So reach out, say hi. You know, I see some posts out there, some people talking about the quiet time right now. And I was listening to Mark Cuban on the Kara Swisher show. And it feels as though, look, I I can't speak for everybody. I I know people personally that don't know where they're going to get their next piece of food from. And you drive by the Veterans Hospital near uh, Wilshire Boulevard, and the amount of tents outside keeps doubling, tripling. It feels like every other day that I go by there. In San Francisco right now, hotels are admitting homeless people into their shelters. These are people that they think may be at risk over the age of 60 or already have the coronavirus, and they're actually getting drugs given to them in these hotel rooms. And and think about that. Think about how disturbing our culture is right now. And then down south in Georgia, we have these two despicable human beings going after Ahmad Arbery, I believe it was in February, but finally this this video is released, and it's just disgusting. And before I go talk about a lot of the disgusting things happening, if you are lucky enough to still have a job or not worry about money right now or you're in good health, you can use this time to be incredibly productive. And whether you're writing a book whether you're a painter, whether you're writing music. I'm, I'm recording some meditation songs right now that I've wanted to do for years, and I've finished three of them over the last few days. You know that I finished this latest draft of my book, which I hope is pretty much the last one. You know, We have a lot of time right now, and, and I think part of me is going to miss this time, and as crazy as that sounds, and maybe part of it is I'm a homebody. I do have a creative spirit, but I've certainly enjoyed this quiet time to reflect and become more creative, writing music again. So in that regard, this can be a powerful time and an empowering time. And even Mark Cuban, as I was saying earlier, when this all ends, I mean, there's it's, it's like a reset. In a way, you can pretty much, you have a lot of options. And I mean, the, the pessimist in me thinks that we're all going to be working for Amazon or like Domino's Pizza. But I think we have the, I think we have a little bit more power. And I think we have more choices that are ours. And I think this time can be really empowering. And I wanted to talk about a few concepts here before I let you go. And I, you know, 
when my podcast started, I had Dr. Gerald Manini on. He was my, he was like my second or third guest. It was maybe my fifth or sixth podcast about 18 months ago. And I, he's a physician. And I was talking to him about how everybody thinks they are an expert. And they, and I'll go even a step further. It's not even the people think that they're an expert. We have a bunch of know-it-alls. If you go onto Facebook right now, it's such a toxic environment. Everybody has an opinion and they think they're right. They think they know everything. And it's the worst environment to have any sort of conversation. And it always turns into a bickering of some sort. There's always some asshole that sort of jumps on board and has to make a snide comment. I mean, even we're, we're a part of this sort of neighborhood watch um, app. And this woman has like six kittens. And she's posting, hey, I have these six kittens. They were just born. I can't keep them. So please, if you want them, come over to my house. And there's all these really sweet comments. Then all of a sudden somebody says, make sure that it's the owners don't want to feed these cats to their snakes. There's a lot of that going on right now. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, the problem is these platforms, anybody can say whatever they want. And there's no nuance. There's no context. And that's the only way people are communicating. There's this strange know-it-all attitude that Facebook permeates through its site. Just everybody thinks they know everything and they're right and this idea then, what's so frustrating to me is that you post something with good intentions, just like, hey, check this out. It's like, so Gerald, actually, getting back to my point, he posted this article on Facebook. And I thought to myself, well, first of all, I'm going to read pieces of it to you, but I was going to say, hey, that's sort of what you and I talked about the first time you were on the show. I could have said that to him on his page, but I texted it to him and then called him because I don't want to get wrapped. The, the minute you comment on somebody's post, then you might get notifications or who knows what asshole is going to jump on and then, you know, want to have a conflict conversation about it. It just, I don't want to go there. It is a breeding ground for toxicity. And that's where most people are spending their time right now, which is so troublesome to me. But so this article in NPR is called The Problem with Thinking You Know More Than the Experts. How did this happen? How is it that people now not only doubt expert advice, but believe themselves to be as smart or even smarter than experienced professionals? Parents who refuse to vaccinate a child, for example, aren't really questioning their doctors. They're replacing their doctors. They have decided that attending the University of Google, as one anti-vaccine activist put it, is the same as going to medical school. People who have no idea how much the United States spends on foreign aid think that they're the, they're the peers of experienced diplomats. There's a lot of blame to go around for all of this. The smartphones and tablets that we carry around all day that we think can answer anything are only part of the problem. The American educational system from grade school to graduate school to graduate school encourages students to think of themselves and their views as special. <laughs> The news media, while trying to tell people what they need to hear, must compete for ears, eyes, and clicks, and so are also forced to ask them what they'd like to hear. And even if we manage to, to avoid the intellectual saboteurs of the internet, we're still all too likely to get our news and views from social media, where a silly meme from your Aunt Rose in Schenectady competes for your attention with actual information. 
you know, I, I said this a few weeks ago, this idea of free speech is a bad thing. If you read an article that you uh, agree with, what inspires you to then have to post it on Facebook? You know, you, I think you want people to change or be open to your point of view, but here's my biggest problem. No change can happen when a dialogue is going back and forth on a social media platform. Change takes years, especially the older you get. You're more stuck to your point of view. So by you having a back and forth on Facebook or you sharing some article that you read on Newsweek to hope that maybe that'll get people to open up, it's not going to happen. There's another really powerful article that a friend of mine sent to me. It's basically talking about uh, a journalist's recent airline flight. I think part of me really worries about what the media, what the world is doing to human behavior in relationships. And my friend Lori Cohen-Peters, who was on my show last week, she posted this on Facebook. She said, you are being conditioned to think that people who stand up for their freedoms are selfish, extreme, irresponsible, hateful, irrational, and lawless. And I do think we're being conditioned by the government and the media to not trust anybody. And I'm concerned that people won't shake hands or hug anymore. People won't walk within six feet of one another. And I'm guilty of it too. I I feel some anxiety when I go to the grocery store. And what's so frustrating to me, and this is why I get frustrated by this virus, this whole idea that people that are asymptomatic may be carriers. And it's, it's almost like it's the perfect breeding ground for fear. And you know what else is asymptomatic that we all have every single day? Cancer. We have cancer every single day. We have cancer cells in our body every single day. We also have healthy cells in our body that kill the cancer cells every single day. So when you obviously have a strong immune system, you don't smoke, you exercise, you maybe go to therapy, you're a healthy human being and you're able to overcome the fact that you have cancer cells in your body every single day. The way that they're communicating this story that everybody um, or people are asymptomatic yet they're still carriers. I don't like the way Facebook is turning people into loudmouth, egomaniacal human beings. And then the media is creating a world where people are scared of each other. And then they're trying to freak people out. And then how do you trust the government that has been so untrustworthy for years? And I'm really concerned about human to human behavior. And I don't know if it's ever going to be the same again. And I I have to read this article. And, And again, I really worry about yelling, frustration. It's going to sort of bubble up and people are just, people have had enough and they're going to start being vitriolic with one another. I, I'm, I'm concerned about all of these rules, how the government's handled the situation. And it feels like Americans are so bombastic and so egomaniacal that 
I'm just, I'm worried about where this is all headed. So this, this journalist is on a plane in the last couple of weeks, and I, just, I had to read part of this article. Flight attendants were scrambling to accommodate seat change requests. Travelers stuffed shoulder to, shoulder to shoulder into two seat rows, grumbled at one another from behind masks. I arrived at my assigned row. By the way, this is by McKay Cop, Coppins, and it's in the Atlantic. I arrived at my assigned row and found a stocky gray-haired man in the seat next to mine. When I moved to sit down, he stopped me and said, sit there, he said gruffly, pointing to the aisle behind us, social distance. Not eager for a confrontation, I decided to comply. Within seconds, though, a flight attendant materialized and ordered me back to my assigned seat. My would-be seatmate, vigorously objecting to this development, responded by blocking my entrance to the row with his leg. A standoff ensued with the irate passenger protesting that there were plenty of empty rows where I could sit, although there weren't, and the long-suffering flight attendant all but threatening to kick him off the plane, she didn't. Finally, he relented, and I squeezed awkwardly into my seat as the man muttered profanities under his breath. The scenes played out like a post-apocalyptic movie. Paranoid travelers roamed the empty terminals in masks, eyeing one another warily as they missed as they misted themselves with disinfectant. Dystopian public service announcements echoed through the airport. Even the smallest, most routine tasks, such as dealing with the touchscreen ticketing kiosk, felt infused with danger. In the restroom, men hovered over sinks like warriors returning from battle, fervently washing their hands and shooting menacing looks at anyone who got too close. At the food court, a shouting match broke out among several stressed-out strangers, and police had to intervene. Outside the gate, passengers sat five or six seats apart, barely acknowledging one another, let alone attempting conversation. The eerie silence wore on me after a while. When my wife texted me how it was going, the best description I could muster was a grimacing emoji. I then see this video of this woman on YouTube who is just refusing to put on a mask at Trader Joe's. And, and you know, the, the YouTube has gone, uh, the, the video has gone viral and I think it's got over 500,000 views. And of course, you know, she's yelling, you know, I'm reading that it's unhealthy to, to wear masks all the time. So I'm not going to breathe in my own carbon dioxide. So I, I'm not putting on a mask to go into Trader Joe's. Now, of course, She's being incredibly melodramatic. If you can't put on a mask for five to 10 minutes while you're walking into Trader Joe's, then you're just selfish. Because I'm, I'm potentially with you that wearing a mask all the time is actually not good for you, especially if you forget to clean the mask. So if you're in the park, if you're going for a walk, going for a bike ride like I do, you know, I don't wear a mask. But if you're going to a public place right now, knowing how sensitive people are, you should probably put on a freaking mask. So this, this woman clearly is so self-indulgent that she only wants to think about herself, and she's trying to create a scene. All of this talk that's been going on through the media, through politicians, it is impacting interpersonal relationships with one another. I see it everywhere I go. People are terrified to look, talk. You can't even see anybody smile. And that's going to have a pretty nasty effect. And I can already see it playing out. And this article really exemplifies it or portrays it very well. 
and I'm concerned. You know, I'm reading in, in, this, in some restaurant in Cincinnati, the owner of this restaurant is putting up shower curtains between each table. Imagine going out to a restaurant now, and there's going to be a shower curtain that sort of surrounds your seating area. Last point, or last segment here, and then I'll let you go. I know I briefly talked about it at the very beginning, but I did need to make one more point about Ahmad Arbery. We live in a world where people just want to do whatever they want to do. And I think I'm just losing faith in the human race. This idea now that if you question anything, you know, YouTube... Or Facebook are going to take your post down. I mean, expert physicians, not just Dr. Fauci, are questioning what we're doing. And your opinion is just taken down. I look outside and see people in masks and nobody's smiling and everybody seems terrified. And I don't know what to believe with the coronavirus because how can you trust China? Think about that. How can you trust China? And I still find the timing very odd and peculiar when clearly China doesn't like America. They can't stand Donald Trump. And there's still people out there that think that the Democrats have such disdain for Donald Trump that they're using this as a last-ditch effort to get him out of office. All of this terrible stuff is happening. But I sometimes think the gun problem in our country is still worse than anything. Maybe gun violence has come down a little bit over the last couple months because everybody's forced to stay home. But then I see and read the story of these two despicable human beings down in Georgia who just fucking just go after this African-American guy who's uh, Ahmaud Arbery who's jogging. And I think to myself, and I'm going to share a story with you to sort of personalize this, but who in their right mind... You know, the story is that they thought that that he was um, uh, burglarizing the neighborhood. Even if he had been, imagine getting your guns, jumping in your pickup truck, and going after somebody and then shooting them. Like, who in their right mind does that? You know, if, if I remember a drunk guy at a bar was giving me a hard time, but I'm, I'm not going to try to make the situation worse. I'm just going to step away. And I just, that is such sheer racism, such disgusting behavior, such a reason to figure out this gun problem because two guys like that should not be owning uh, firearms. And it does sort of, it, it almost feels like Facebook and social media empowers people to think that they can say or do anything. You know, it, again, if I saw somebody in my neighborhood that looks suspicious, I would never run out there, and even if I owned a gun, go after them with, with a fucking gun. I would call the police. But it feels like we live in this world now, which is very frightening to me, that people feel like they can do anything. Coupled with this virus right now and the fear that it's providing or that it's invoking, I'm a little terrified. You know, I feel really good at home. I feel good with my small amount of friends. <laughs> I think a lot of people are on edge. And I think we need to figure out a way to diffuse situations and take, take care of ourselves. I really feel like you got to take care of yourself as much as possible 
and try to diffuse situations and try to be somebody who's relaxing the environment around you, not creating more anxiety. And I want to share a story and then I'm going to play a clip and then I'll let you go. So sort of to this idea of diffusing situations. So about three weeks ago, I emailed maybe eight to 10 people sort of asking if they knew anybody in the literary, in the literary agency world or publishing world. Cause, cause I really don't know anybody. I thought maybe somebody knows a lit agent or something. So a guy, I'm not going to say anybody's name. A guy writes back to me and says, Hey, you know, I know this guy I'll connect you to. And this was via email. So about a week later, I get a, a message on Facebook from this gentleman attaching this other guy saying, Hey, you know, let's just say his name is John. Um, John here, meet Eddie. Eddie has been, Eddie's a musician. Uh, he spent the last couple of years writing into writing a book. He's looking to, to get it published. Uh, I thought he should connect with you and you two continue the conversation. So I've sent a message to him. John will say a couple of days later saying something like, Hey, John, great to meet you. Uh, yeah, I've been working uh, over the last two and a half years on a book. It's certainly not, it's been, it's been driving me crazy. It's not for the faint of heart, but I, I'm just looking to connect with people. Would love to talk. And then his response was, yeah, writing isn't for the faint of heart. And that was it. And so two days ago, I kind of officially finished. And so I was so excited. I messaged him, messaged him again. And I said, hey, I finished today, really looking to connect with agents, not sure if you know anybody, but let's connect, or something like that. And he writes me back, and he says, Eddie, you're really going to have to work on your foreplay. And I'm like, what? So I write him back saying, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, but you know, I, I would really appreciate any sort of help that you may have. I just finished this book and I don't really know anybody, so would love to connect. And then he writes back again and then offers three suggestions on what I should be doing. And he didn't like the way that I had communicated. And so then I call a friend of mine to see if he knew who this person was. And he said, you know, he has a reputation of being an asshole. But I have to say, all day, I just wanted to message him back and say what a fucking prick he was. Somebody told me this a long time ago. You know, you could have, you could be, a, there could be a hundred people in the room and 99 of them compliment you. But if one is a complete asshole and says something really derogatory, you're going to think about that for the rest of the day. And so that whole day I thought about, God, what a prick this guy was. And I wanted to email the original person who referred me basically to say, you know, by the way, don't ever refer this person to anybody again. So I think there is this egocentric male-driven quality where we feel like we have to get in the last word. And it takes a lot of practice. And I'm telling you, it was so incredibly challenging for me not to send another message and tell this guy that he was an asshole, that it was just really incredibly rude. I think we need to behave like that more often now than ever. And I think Facebook and the way our country is sort of setting up, it, it's almost like it's calling people to scream and yell and be violent and be angry. And there's not a lot of people out there that are sort of adding some perspective, getting people to relax, getting people to calm down. And I get concerned that this sort of constant onslaught of information that is really just creating a lot of anxiety is, is, is making our world worse. 
I'm going to end today's show by playing a clip from Bill Maher. I won't play it all because it's long. It's five minutes. But he writes in a tweet, I worry that the past two months of quarantine have given people the idea that the way for humans to win our million-year war with microbes is to avoid them completely. But I'm here to tell you, you can't. You know, I know Denmark and Sweden have had much better mortality rates than America has, and they didn't have a shutdown at all. It's it's strange to me how the decision was for everybody to just stay home. And now there's stories coming out where uh, Mayor Cuomo in New York is saying that some of these latest cases of people in the hospital are actually from people that have been staying home. Again, remember what I said at the very beginning of the show. We all have cancer every single day, but our body, if we have a strong immune system, fights it off. And nobody out there is reminding people about how to have a strong immune system, keep exercising, keep eating well, eat fruits. Nobody's talking about that. So I'm going to play this clip and then I'll let you go. We have to come up with a better solution than everyone becomes Howie Mandel. You know Howie, I know Howie. Who doesn't love Howie? the world's most famous germaphobe who was social distancing before it was cool. Well, now, of course, everybody's making the joke that Howie Mandel had it right all along. No, Howie would be the first to tell you he has a disease, OCD, that fucks up your life. He can't touch a doorknob or wear shoes with laces because they might touch the ground. When he excuses himself to go to the bathroom, it's to clean it. No wonder he says, it was always a curse. That behavior didn't allow me to date or go out with anybody when I was young or really even have friends. He also said, I'm always on the verge of death in my head. I worry that the past two months of quarantine have given people the idea that the way for humans to win our million-year war with microbes is to avoid them completely. And I'm here to tell you, You can't. The key to beating COVID isn't dining through glass or never going to a concert or a ball game again. It's your immune system. You hear people say COVID-19 is a new virus, so the immune system doesn't know how to handle it. Bullshit. Of course it does. That's why the vast majority of people have had it, either recovered or didn't even know they had it. What do you think did that? The human immune system. Now, there are people with immune systems that can't do the job and we should make it a priority to protect those people but compulsively washing being scared of your own hands that can't become the new normal and i'll leave i'll end it there and that's a very important point you know i'm a germaphobe not nearly as bad as howie mandel but you know i wear gloves now when i go out to the grocery store or i went to the pet store to get cat food and you know the guy who's ringing me up is wearing gloves. And then I start thinking to myself, I wonder if those are fresh gloves. What has he been touching all day? And then I touch the food that he touched. And then the food is touching the bag. And then the bag is touching my hands. And then the bag is in my car. And then I'm sitting in the car. And then those germs that were on his hand were on the bag are now in my car. And that's my point. If you aren't careful, you could go fucking insane with this thing. Fortunately, you know, I know to wash my hands. I feel like I'm a relatively stable germaphobe. But this whole pandemic, the way it's being treated and meant to scare the fuck out of everybody, is creating a world 
of emotional, out-of-control germaphobes who don't want to look or be near anyone. And will we recover from that? Had some great podcasts over the last few weeks, so please check them out. Again, if you dig the show, head over to iTunes, give it a review, give it a five-star. I'm teaching all my yoga classes online, so message me at Eddie Cohn on Twitter or Instagram, and I'll give you all the info. And that is it. As always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Thank you.